Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right, everybody. I am your guest host this week. My name is Mackenzie, and I am sitting here talking to a local Seattle musician, and I'm very excited to have him on. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, thanks for having me, Mackenzie. Uh, I am Greaves, I guess. It still feels weird saying, it, you know, it feels like a superhero name. Um, but I'm, I go by the name Greaves. Uh, I'm a Seattle musician. Um, although I feel like maybe Seattle doesn't really know that I'm a Seattle musician. I've been there for like close <laughs> to 20 years and it's still like all the time. I, it's like, when are you coming back to Seattle? I am currently having lunch in Seattle right now. I've been here the whole time. Um, do you do you think that's because the Seattle music scene is so big, or why do you think people don't know you're from or in Seattle? It's you know it's always been that way for me. Like I never got local press. I never got you know like when stuff like Capitol Hill Block Party and Bumper Shoot and stuff, and we would submit for it, and they would be like, "Oh no, we're we're looking for like some local artists," and it's like what are you talking about? <laughs> like I'm, I'm right I'm, here. And it, like, even when I inked my contract back in the day with rhyme stairs, um, and you know, I was charting on the billboards and, and had like, you know, major selling records on iTunes and we apply, we never got written up in the stranger or anything like that or, or anything. I've, it, Seattle has always escaped me actually somehow. Interesting. I think that it's been my blessing because if I'm just a local guy, you can see me whenever, right? But if people think that I am only going to be there, you know, once a year, once every other year, then they'll then they'll roll out and try to make it happen. I'm not saying that nobody doesn't know that I'm from Seattle. They clearly do, but I think in the grand scheme of things, people get a little bit confused about where I'm from because I grew up in Chicago and Colorado and then I've lived in Seattle since high school and I'm almost 40 now so <laughs> it's been a while and you're you're a Seattle local now 100% yeah and I and I signed to a Minnesota label so everybody thought I was from even people in Minnesota think I live in Minnesota and I have not and never will live in Minnesota those winters are <laughs> Not, not worth it no hell no <laughs> um but long story so, short i am a seattle artist yeah you are a seattle artist so in the beginning you said it feels weird to introduce yourself as greaves did you used to record or like perform under a different name no it's it's always been this but it's just it's still i think there's just a part of me that's like you know i know people that are they they just strictly go by their like hip hop rap name and they don't want to be called anything else. And it's still weird for me to like have, have it because do you mean when they're like introducing themselves to people they meet on the street? Yeah. Like what's up? I'm little bootsy or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty common. And when you're on tour, like most of the time people don't even call you by your name. They just call you by your rap name. Like, so you're just in a bus or a van with people and you're just like, what's up, Wobba Wobba? And that's <laughs> super weird. And, you their real name. and everyone's like, hello, Benjamin. And you're like, oh. like, wait, where am I? Yeah, it's definitely two different worlds. 
So how did you come up with the name Greaves? Because I was trying to explain that to my daughter earlier because I was listening to some of your music today. And she said, oh, who is this? And I said, it's Greaves. And she was like, what? Because normally the music that I listen to around my kids is like, you know, kids music. And I was like, how did you get to that? Um, I don't know. I was young and angsty and like dabbling in all things of hip hop. So I was like, you know, DJing and writing graffiti and, and uh, rap battling and unfortunately try and break dance. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at least you tried it, right? I just, you know, I was enthralled, right? I just, I was so into it that I just wanted to be a part of all of it. Um, and so I think it was like kind of like the graffiti part meeting the the hip hop part, but, or the, the rap part. But um, I was signing up for like a rap battle and the lady asked my name and I just gave her my regular name. And she's like, that's your rap name? And I was like, I don't know, it's my name. She's like, you need to go get like a rap name. And so I like walked around for a little bit and I was like kind of playing around with those letters and then it just creeps. And then it, then I just, such a stressful process. I didn't want to go through it again. So I just, oh yeah. (laughs) Although I do like the idea of a rapper going on stage and being like, what's up guys? I'm Benjamin. Like, my name's Benjamin Howard Loud. I'm about to fucking eat this guy alive. Here we go. (laughs) I think it would be fun. Okay. Um, so rap battles when did you start doing those uh 15 16 17 and if i look like this now when i'm almost 40 imagine what i looked like when i was 15 16 i look like a little sperm with legs it was not a good situation for me to be putting myself in um <laughs> so but, it's, so it's fair to say you didn't win many of these rap battles no, no, i gotta eat up quite a bit yeah but at the same time i just thought it was what it was and i was like pretty good at freestyling but i wasn't good at making fun of people um so it didn't really work out for me but um I'm glad that it didn't work out for me because i I've noticed in that world there's not often a transition where a battle rapper it has a successful musical career and ultimately it wasn't the aggressiveness and almost like toxic masculinity of the battle rapping that got me like I don't really like sports all that much and like the competitive side of that didn't really interest me I just thought it was my way into making hip-hop music um, okay because I was young and I didn't really know um, but it, it, you know, it introduced me to some people and it like taught me more about um, hip hop. And then it got me introduced to some people that, uh, you know, taught me more about the recording process and stuff like that. And one thing led to another and, you know, it just became more. Right. Did you grow up listening to primarily hip hop music then? Uh, I was all over the board. Honestly, um, especially as a kid, you know, like it, I feel like young people identify themselves by the music that they listen to. And um, I listen to a lot of different music because I think I just had a hard time identifying with anything as a kid. But um, 
no, it wasn't primarily hip hop, probably until like high school rolled around. And then I was like, you know, smoking blunts and listening to Wu-Tang. <laughs> I love Wu-Tang. Uh, yeah, I, Wu-Tang changed my life. Like when I when I heard that, I had never heard anything like that. Um, and it made me dive deeper and deeper and deeper into hip hop. Um, as well as uh, hearing the Rhyme Sayers stuff, which ended up being my alma mater. You know, I ended up signing with Rhyme Sayers um, later in life. And, you know, that was a huge influence for me because it actually defined a lane for me. It showed me that I actually, the music and the feelings and the emotions that I had um, actually had a place in this art form. Um, so it, it, that was very inspirational for me as well um, when I heard that stuff. I grew up in a neighborhood where it was primarily hip hop music being played. And like in the house, my mom was always blasting like Cyndi Lauper and Madonna and good eighties music, you know? But I remember when I heard Eminem and D12, my band on the radio for the first time, I must've been like six or seven years old. And my eyes, I was like, what is this music? Yeah. And it opened up my entire world to hip hop. And since then, I've been I've been a huge fan of hip hop. So I know what you mean. You listen to these different genres trying to figure out what do I ad- identify with. But yeah, and I, I, at the end of the day, I think music triggers an emotional response from the listener. And that's why we like it. Um, and so I think it's it, especially for me, like there, there was a moment where I became very like hip hop centered. Um, and then as I became more educated about music and, and stuff like that, I, I started to realize that like, there is no hip hop without everything else. Right. Like, cause it's such a sample at the beginning it's such a sample based art form, which is why I liked Wu-Tang. I was like hearing my dad's records in there being like, what the hell? Um, yeah. So it was really cool for me because it took something that I thought I already knew and made it something completely different, um, which is awesome. Um, but for me, you know, moving forward, not only with a career, but just as someone who loves music, um, I definitely unpigeonholed myself. Like I wanted to have everything because I wanted, I wanted to be better at this. Like to be better at hip hop, I needed to listen to more music that wasn't necessarily hip hop. Um, but yeah, I, as, as a kid, it was, it was like punk rock. I had a metal phase for a while, really got into Metallica. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, before that it was like, whatever. And then like the music that my parents listened to, which was like a lot of blues, a lot of jazz and a lot of soul. So, which all has its roots or hip hop has its roots in blues and all of that. 100%. Yeah. All those records that I grew up listening to, I would hear on, you know, as samples and and some of these songs. So it was cool. How old were you when you started like writing your own songs? I think when I've like penned my first like song, I was probably around 18. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how to like count bars, but I knew that I didn't want to be battle rapping. And so I was like, you know, and I, I had been writing before that, but like, as far as like an, an, an entire thing where you write a song to, to a musical accompaniment, um, I would say 18. And what is the process like for you when you write a new song? 
like how does that start like obviously you have the idea but where does it go getting that idea into song form for you I you know for me I think it's pretty unconventional and I've had this conversation with people and other artists and it I think my answer is frustrating for people um but it is what it is and that's just my process um I don't have one it I it, it if I had to say anything it would be just blank slate um mm-hmm. I don't want anything going on when I'm in the studio or I can't focus. So it, if, you know, had something traumatic had happened early in the day, like that's not a good time for me to go and write because I also produce. Um, And often those things don't really match up at the same Mm -hmm. time. Sometimes they do. Um, But for me, I'm a better producer when it's clear skies. Um, and that way it's easier for me to run with the first idea that comes to my head, opposed to forcing an emotion into an idea that I might not actually be capable of at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to be as like blank slate as possible. And then I let the music do the talking and then I let that define the emotion and the ideas. And then it starts coming together and there it is. Um, and for me, that's just the way to get the most authentic music. And in a day and age where anybody can record anything and have it on Spotify in the next, you know, 14 days, um, the only thing that separates me from you is my authenticity, right? My originality, my my process, my thoughts and emotions and stuff like that. Um, so... I've never really tried to change it up. And that means that I'm not as uh, prolific as what a lot of people are today. And, and, and we're definitely in an era where it's content, you know, it's quantity over quality a lot of the time. Um, And that, you know, they're calling music content and, you know, stuff like that. And, If that means that's the end of my career, then I guess that's the end of my career. But I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm going to hold fast. I'm going to hold steady to my process because that is what has made the music that everybody has liked. And, and, and I've made so many decisions to, to keep that process in my life. And I've, I've let a lot of things go and, um, and I've, I've steered myself down the direction that's like, this is the music that I want to make. And this is how I want to make it. And if those things change, then I don't necessarily want to be making music. I mean, I'll always have that for myself. But as far as a career is concerned, I've been doing this for almost 15 years now. Professionally, I quit my job at Bizarro's in Seattle um, in 2007. um, And I've been full-time musician ever since. Um, And How was it for you to... What's up? (laughs) I just wanted to ask what the transition was like for you from quitting your job in Seattle into going full time with music. Were you, I mean, that's a huge decision, which I'm sure that you mold over a million times in your head. But what, what did it feel like when you finally walked into your job and you're like, I'm done, I'm out, I'm making music full time? I actually, I walked into my job and my boss said, you're done. You're going to go make music full time. Um, I love that. 
it was the other way around. He was kind of like a mentor to me and we had met in a studio. Um, shout outs to Mike Houston. He's a Northwest legend as far as the culinary scene is concerned um, with Il Corvo and now Il Nido. And he's starting a place on in Eastern Washington. Um, I wouldn't be here without that dude. He gave me the patience and the knowledge that it took for somebody to balance a job and a music career. Um, and then when he saw that it was time, he kind of like cut my strings and, 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 you know, he's like, if it doesn't work, you know, come back here, but he kicked um, you out of the nest. He did. He, he kicked me out of the nest and it was hard and it was scary as shit for a little bit, but it worked. And, um, the, the, the first couple of years were brutal, but we pushed through. And that was in 2007. Yeah. You produced an album independently in 2007, right? I did. That was my first record. It had come out in July, I think, of that year. It was irreversible. Um, mm-hmm. And I had I had released it um, independently. And then I got an opportunity to go on tour with Atmosphere. Um as like a DJ for uh, gray school. So mm-hmm. I, I took that opportunity and I did the best that I could um, to kind of sell myself on that tour. And what I did was I printed 10,000 samplers of that record. And I just walked around the venue after we played and had conversations with 10,000 people throughout that whole tour and gave away every single one of those um, samplers. And then by the time I came back, um, those samplers had like paid for themselves and um, through iTunes money. And that record was starting to take off a little bit. And then I started getting calls from little labels and even Def Jam at the time was uh, calling in. But I was still very in this like, hip hop mode where it was like independent and I need to do this, uh, my way. And I ended up signing with a independent label out of Kansas and it just didn't really work out. It was a really bad situation for me. And it taught me a lot about, um, the bad parts of the music industry. Um, and that there's just like a lot of not good people, um, out there. And that was really depressing for me and like kind of fucked me up because I had like let go some opportunities that I probably should have humored at that time um, to to do something that I thought was better for the lane that I thought I was in. But that all turned out into me having a conversation with Rhyme Sayers and that turning into me being, you know, in a, where my idols became my peers. So... And are you still with Rhyme Sayers? I'm not. I I was on there for a little over 10 years. And then mm-hmm. when the pandemic hit, I decided that I kind of wanted to go a separate direction. And it took a while because I was still under contract. And But they they helped me figure it out. And um, Yeah, I just, I don't know. I freaked out when the pandemic happened. And, you know, with a kid on the way and making half of my money and it's just I didn't 
want to be tethered to a deal anymore. And I also honestly, like, I think that I did everything that I could over there. Um, as far as like building for them and for myself, um, there's no love lost at all. It's just sometimes you just run out of road. Right. So before we hit record, you were telling me that when the pandemic hit, you were on tour. Yeah. So you yeah. said that you were on tour for like eight days before you had to pack up and leave. Yeah, we were, we had started this, I just signed with a new agency and had this new tour set up, ready to go. Um, started the tour with all this talks on the news about COVID and, you know, all the stores wiped out of hand sanitizer and the super toilet paper. Like, weird. <laughs> yeah, the toilet paper didn't happen till later. But it was oh. <laughs> like, you couldn't find anything like Clorox wipes or hand scent, like anywhere. And even in the like sketchiest of truck stops, like on the way to Sacramento to start the tour, you couldn't find anything. It was weird, but we had this bus and it was like wrapped and sponsored. And it was the most like well-prepared I've ever been for a tour, I feel like. Um and then, yeah, eight days in, I mean, definitely not eight days in, like it was happening before, like they were cutting right. caps on rooms and, and, and cutting things down and down and down and down. And then by the eighth day, it was like, we were in Canada and my tour manager was like, you need to get, we need to get out of here because they're going to close down the borders and we need to get back to the U.S. and like this thing is over and it was just like heartbreaking and we we had two months worth of merch in the trailer that we had just ordered so it was like i've never lost that much money in my life it was it was a very intense emotional uh gut bomb to say the least but you know, I went home, I posted a little thing on Instagram and was like, well, this is, this sucks. Um, I'm sorry for everyone that had tickets. Um, I'm not going to go ahead and say we're rescheduling it. We're just going to cancel it. Um, just because, and you know, in the 15 years of me doing this, I've never seen a sickness swipe the country that shuts down people being around each other. And I'm assuming that it's not going to go away very soon. Um, right. And so I posted this thing and I was like, but if you guys want to buy merch, I would really appreciate it because, uh, ouch. Yeah. No <laughs> ouch joke. On, on the, on the, on the bill on that one. Yeah. And they showed up like within a week I had filled that close to $50,000 hole um in my pocket and wow yeah they, they it was the craziest and i just i shipped it all out myself because i was like well i'm not paying a merch company or anything like i'm going full indie on this because i need every last dollar and like i had mentioned that tour was supposed to kind of be like my maternity leave because my partner was pregnant and that was supposed to be enough money for me to come home and chill for the next like year and a half while we went through the trenches with the baby. Um, and trenches they are. 
And, you know, so now I'm battling, I'm battling a whole new lifestyle approaching me. I'm battling, you know, worldwide pandemic, um, not being able to tour, which is a major source of income for me. Um, and battling kind of my brain because I don't really know what I like, like I said, it's better for me when it's clear skies and I just didn't have clear skies at all. And I didn't really know what to do musically. And so I ended up making a lo-fi record, um, called canopy. Um, just because that was like the best way for me to communicate how I was feeling. And there's no words. It's just all music. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that confused the shit out of my fans. They're like, wait, what? Are you going to re-release this with raps over it? And I was like, nope, this is it. Um, this is how <laughs> Interpret I'm Interpret it as like, you will. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was just like all these different things. And then, they, you know, then then my son was born and and I just went full force into that. And it's, I don't know. And, and here I am now going on my first tour and, you know, years later he's a year and a half old now um have you performed at all since the beginning of covid or since your son's been born twice uh one like weird little free show in seattle down like on the pier mm -hmm. um and then once in alaska uh I, alaska yeah i did a street festival thing with lupe fiasco out there um, that sounds fun. It was cool. Yeah, it was. It was. It was fun. Um, Alaska seems like a funny place to have a hip hop concert, but I, I mean, there's up. people listening to it everywhere. I guess. Yeah. And nobody goes to Alaska, right? So it's nobody like, goes to Alaska except like retired people on cruises. No offense to retired people on cruises to Alaska right now. Also, if you're a retired person on a cruise listening to this podcast. Go hit that buffet for me, all right? Go fuck it up in exactly. the buffet for me for a little bit. Get some right? mac and cheese for me, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, has your has your process of do you feel oh, that's how do I do you feel differently as a musician now that you're a father? Do you like does that make sense? I feel yeah. tired. <laughs> that, um, that that never goes away. Just so you know. I definitely feel tired. Um, yeah, I do. I, I do feel differently, but it's just like an emotional slide. You know, it's not, there's still me and there's still the music that I, I want to make. Um, I'm just trying to not make dad rap. I'm trying to not make music. I don't, I don't want to make music where it's like, here I am in my life and this is where I'm at. And if you don't like it, then too bad for you. Um, and the music that I'm making right now is I've all of a sudden decided that I'm hoarding phone books and eating nothing but peanut butter for the next three years. And this is, I'm going to talk about it in every song and I'm going to force you to like it. And if you say anything bad about it, to me then you don't understand my artistic process and you're not supporting me as an artist like i'm not doing that to my fans i'm i want to still continue to make music that i've been making i just 
you know, I might have a new lens, but I'm not going to hit him with the <laughs> change the diaper shit, you know, like I, I don't want to do that. I think you have to release a single about hoarding phone books and eating peanut butter. Though. It's, I don't I even mean, know I, where to find a phone book anymore. It happens. It happens so much. And I don't even, it turns me off from artists when they, when they do that. Um, I understand what you mean. So I'm trying to not be that. So we'll see. But I, you know, that's definitely becoming a father and being a father will be a huge part of my identity. Um, it's just, yeah. I'm so new to it right now that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to dive all the way into that in my artistic process because I've been an artist longer than I've been a father. Um, and there's people that have been a father longer than I've been an artist uh, that listen to my music. And I just, I'm not an expert. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and, and what I think about being a dad today could be different tomorrow. You know, it's like this ever changing roller coaster. I love it. It's, the, it's the best. It's just, it's kind of a me thing. I don't really want it to be a music thing. I can respect that. I think that's important to have it together but still separate yeah because there's a time and a place for both I think but um has how you identify as an artist changed throughout the years because that's obviously also something that's very personal you know you're making music and you're dealing with your emotions but has how you identify as a musician changed absolutely um for me, I think a lot of it comes through knowledge, like knowledge mm -hmm. of of music in itself, like becoming more technically sound at things, like gaining more theory, um, becoming better at my craft um, has opened the doors for me creatively to do things that I, A, didn't know I was capable of doing and uh, B, didn't know that I really wanted to do. Um my like my tonal palette does change as I learn more, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I first started, I was looking for high-pitched soul samples and, you know, I was looking for sounds that made me feel something, um, you know, sampling records. But I was also like, I need to sample records because everyone's sampling records. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to break the sound. Um, mm -hmm. bubble that everyone lives in right now. Um, but there became a time where a sample felt really limiting to me um, because I, as, as, as a lyricist, wanted to take my stories or whatever I was saying and have them stretch out a bit longer for me. And I'm going to talk a little bit about like this is not super technical music stuff, but it's, it's, it's music stuff. Um, when I'm sampling, I'm, I'm more or less limited to the arrangement that I chop up. Um, I can't drop things out really. I mean, I could drop the whole sample out, but more or less you have what you have. Um, and if I want to slowly build this thing up over, you know, two bars, four bars, eight bars until we hit the 16. Um, 
and then have eight bars of just like full in. Um, it's really hard to do with samples to find samples that grow like that or chop around to get samples from other records to go in. And it, it was, it's really fun doing it, but I found myself at a point really wishing that I could make the sample do something else. Like I wish that it would change chords here because I feel like I want to take the story like in a different note uh, emotionally, um, which led me into playing things. But you know, there's that jump from irreversible to 88 keys where I was kind of doing both, but I was trying to make the the stuff that I was playing sound like samples. And it was really hard because I didn't really have the knowledge to do that yet. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, so I went to a studio that had all this old gear that was the gear that used to record that music, um, thinking that that would be the missing link. And it wasn't. Um, there was still thinness to that record. Um, uh, because of the lack of sampling vinyl. We don't need to go into why, why it feels thicker. Um, there, there definitely is a reason for that, but um, it just, hip hop at the time, comparatively, that record felt really thin. Um, mm -hmm. So moving forward, how was I going to change that? And Luckily, music in itself, like I wasn't the only one in hip hop having that feeling and hip hop music started more and more and more be becoming this hybrid of the two things. Technology became a lot more accessible to make those things sound um, uh, similar and like now to the point where it's just like you could slap a little plug in on it and it's like, whoa, it sounds like a sample. Um, but it didn't used to be that way. And so once, once we put out together apart and I had kind of found my sound in between those two things, um, I, you know, I made the record and I was like, oh, well, that's pretty much all I know how to do. <laughs> with the, so now I need to learn more. I need to learn more about music or else I'm just going to keep playing the same licks. I'm going to keep trying to do the same tricks. Um, licks and tricks over over again um so every record has kind of been a display of my advancement in music and the the music gets more complicated as it goes the arrangements get different um and you see it, it does get a, a bit jazzier like there there's definitely some stankier chords going on as the records progress from you know together apart which is like all very good but simple stuff to you know to now where where there's a lot more dissonance and a lot more like huh? or i did notice that i did notice that when i was listening to you on spotify earlier um because i've been playing it for the last few days and I was listening to some of your earlier stuff and I was kind of like going through the years and I did notice, I mean, I'm not a musician, but I could hear the difference in the music and your voice and how you're rapping and everything. And you do have that a lot with other artists where it's like, you can listen to their stuff from 10 years ago and present day. And it still sounds the same. Like it didn't get any more complex the way that they're singing or rapping it still sounds the same and there's not a lot of growth in their music. Yeah. 
And I think that has to be hard because at some point you do get comfortable with how you're singing or performing and like getting out of that box. I can't even imagine having to do that. Well, the hard part is when you do something that's successful, you know, like when you write a song that becomes your song and then every song you make after that is like, will it hold a candle to it? Yeah. Can you let, or can you be okay with not writing that song ever again? Right. And are can there... you deal with hordes of people that are like, I miss it when you made this song. It's like, well, guess <laughs> what? That song exists and you can go listen to that song whenever the hell you want. But I don't and need to I'm write it again. I'm going to evolve. No. Yeah. I don't need to write it again because if I did, you would still be on here going, I like the other one better. It's like, okay, <laughs> so we're in agreement. We should be doing something else then. Exactly. Um, which artists do you listen to that you feel like you pull inspiration from? Or do you pull inspiration at all from other other musicians? I do, but it's not like a regular, you know, like I don't have one artist that is just like, oh with me it's all it's 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 cherry picking you know like i'll hear something and be like whoa that's tight what is that run that back or you know like listening to old records and being like yo and just like i'll like hold my phone up and like record it next time i'm in the studio i'll listen to it again and be like okay i want to do something like that um Mm -hmm. or i'll look that artist up on youtube and like kind of dive down the rabbit hole um or if i don't have any inspiration at all i'll go on youtube and just dive deep cuts of like old vinyl records that like people put up and like old cambodian funk music or something (laughs) and just like listen for something that makes me feel something and then think about why it made me feel something and then uh try to work on that idea Mm -hmm. and sometimes i'll even just sample that thing and then build up on top of it and then throw the sample away and see what I have, you know, once it's gone. What would you say that, I mean, this is kind of an abstract question, but what would you say your goal or like, yeah, what's your goal with your music? What do you want your audience to, how do you want your, like, what is your ideal audience person thinking when they're listening to your music in a perfect world? I like my music to be open-ended. I like it to mean one thing for me can mean Mm -hmm. something completely different to you and can mean something completely different to somebody else. Um, But in that idea, it still creates like a togetherness, you know, which is something that I noticed from uh, touring so much was like someone will come up to me and and tell me how a certain song affected them and, and, change their course a little bit or or help them along the way with something and that thing is in my mind nowhere near what i was writing about you know um but it, it's it's shown me so much how like music communicates and facilitates um with the human experience and it's that's been extremely rewarding for me and i want to continue that which is why Mm -hmm. i said i don't want to make music that is like forcing my lifestyle on people i want it to be i want it to remain this open book so that we can talk about it later so we Mm -hmm. can have book club um (laughs) 
that 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 is my ultimate goal and i think i am achieving it i just my goal would be to maintain that for as long as i'm happy doing that Mm -hmm. is there a certain artist that would be like a dream like to work with for you yeah yeah i mean there's you know like (laughs) he's like quest love and and stuff like that like i would like to work with Art, I, I would like to work with artists that will open me up and maybe to that next level. Like, and I don't mean in my career, I mean, as far as my musical knowledge is concerned. Um, right. Because you know, when I wrote Running Wild, I was working with a producer that was just like, like anything. He was so good. And just being around him, I learned so much. Um, and so, yeah, there's, de- you know, Questlove would be a huge one because I feel like I would walk away with just like my mind blown from that experience. Mm, but it was all knowledge. Nerve wracking because I would be so nervous. Um, a <laughs> little bit of a like fangirl that. moment in the beginning. Yeah, it would be really hard. Um, but, you know, yeah. Questlove for sure. Questlove for sure. So your tour starts this Saturday. Yeah. How are yeah, we I'm feeling? We're feeling we're feeling uh all of we're we're 0 to 10. We're all of the numbers. It's uh I'm happy to be doing the thing that I'm good at again. It's been a long time. I haven't you know, it, and I I do feel like that was affecting me over the pandemic is like I just didn't get to do the thing that I was good at for a while. And mm. that's it's a weird thing. Um, and I was like trying to find other hobbies and stuff. And it just was like frustrating because I was like, no, I'm, I am good at touring. I'm good at this. Um, everything that comes with it, like the organization, the planning, the dealing with the stress from it, the traveling, it's just like, it works for me. Um, yeah. What so were some of the that. hobbies that you tried during the pandemic? <laughs> Well, I'm not a great carpenter um, or a handyman. Um, I am not great at pottery. And we're about pottery. to find out. Yeah. And we're about to find out if I'm good at whittling. Whittling? Oh, yeah. I'm going to start making spoons. How <laughs> did you get to whittling? I don't know. I mean, I I took an online plumbing course during the pandemic (laughs) when I was in lockdown. (laughs) But whittling, okay. I just saw like a hashtag of like some wooden spoons and I was like, those are sick. And then next thing you know, I got some wood blocks and some whittling, a little whittling set. It's a good tour hobby. Well, I didn't bring it with me on the road because I don't want to cut my finger off and have to. Oh, well, I mean, fair. You know. But, you know, I can see myself sitting on the back porch, giving a whittle, <laughs> giving a whittle or two. <laughs> I, can, I can't even imagine. Um, <laughs> so when does your tour end? I should be home by April 20th. And your show in Seattle is in April as well, right? April. Yeah, I I am. I'm pulling the trigger on a lifetime goal. 
in Seattle and I've hired an orchestra and uh, we're, we've redone the music um, completely um, and it will be fully orchestrated and performed with an orchestra. And that will be at which venue? At the new Crocodile, Belltown. A full orchestra. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy. I'm. That's gonna be amazing. Yeah. Well, and I'm on tour right up until it, and then I just gotta jump in and be like, okay, I got like ten days to make this happen. How do we? So the lifetime. The most complicated, expensive thing I've ever embarked on, as far as a live show is concerned. I can't even imagine how much a live orchestra would cost. It's not cheap. But that sounds amazing. <laughs> no, I believe you. Cheap. I have but, a friend who's a professional oboist, and I'm like, that's okay. Oh, so what was the we what was the motivation? Oboist. Oh, you don't have an oboist. Maybe you can hire her. <laughs> what was the motivation to have a full on orchestra? for the show same thing that we were talking about earlier just pushing that knowledge forward you know like evolving the music and a really cool way to evolve music that already exists is to just completely you know you see artists do it all the time with like you know the acoustic version or something like that and i want to go well beyond that and just have the orchestral version. Um, That's amazing. So I, yeah, I pulled the trigger on it. My buddy who is a composer um, for the Seattle symphony and stuff like that. He um, rewrote and charted all the songs and yeah, it's, it's happening. It's crazy. How long did it take him? Do you know how long it took him to rewrite all of that music? Uh, it took him a while, and he's still got one left to do. So, wow. But then, you know, he's assured me that it, it pretty much now that it's written, you know, especially with the people that we've hired, like they're all pros. So he's like, we could do one rehearsal. We could do no rehearsals, and they'll play it flawlessly because they just read it the way that I wrote it, and it goes. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna need more than that because. I'm going to (laughs) cry when I hear it. So, and I definitely don't want that to happen on stage. That is just going to be such a magical moment for you. The first time you hear that. Yeah. It's going to be wild. Even just hearing like his little MIDI demos. I'm like, Whoa. I'm so excited for you. I'm excited about that. That's a big thing for me. even if Seattle doesn't know I'm, I'm from Seattle, it's I'll be in Seattle with a Seattle orchestra. Okay, Seattle? They're yeah. going to know after this podcast goes live that you're from Seattle. <laughs> they will know. What has been your favorite venue to perform at in Seattle or in Washington even? It's the Crocodile. I love the Sorry? Crocodile. I, I feel at home in the Crocodile. I, I love the history of the Crocodile. Um, that's just my home court. It always has been. It probably always will be, even though it moved, um, to a new building. I think that's super cool. And that opened up kind of an opportunity for them to be something new and, and something that 
Washington or, you know, most venues on the West Coast don't have. And now there are three venues in a hotel, which is like crazy. So it's, I'm, I'm really excited and really pumped that they took something as bad as like a full shutdown of the music industry and turned it around into like, okay, well now we have the time to become this mega beast of, uh, of a venue. And they're, they're a one-stop shop. Now you can pull the tour bus up, have your hotel, get dinner there, play your show, watch a movie in the movie theater and, you know, go to bed, take off and, not wait to you know be excited for the next time you can come back to the crocodile so that really does sound like an ideal they've venue. Leveled up and they're, it's insane it's amazing and it's huge it's in the old el gaucho space downtown mm-hmm. um so it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a big deal and i'm really pumped to take this show there well especially one with a full-on orchestra yeah it's the perfect way to open yeah. it up. Is there a venue anywhere in the world or like in the States that would be your like dream venue to perform at? I've been pretty lucky. I've got to play a lot of them. Um, yeah. You know, the Fillmore in San Francisco, the, uh, the Greek theater in Berkeley, Red Rocks in um, Colorado um the gorge in washington um was that on the warp tour i even that got to in? play moulin rouge yeah yeah the, oh and the i moulin played rouge? uh yeah yeah in paris um wow so i've i've been lucky enough to play some pretty cool spots um you know i mean what am i gonna say grand old opera like I'm, you never damn, know. I'm not going to play there. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, it'd be cool. <laughs> you could turn into an opera singer. There is enough time <laughs> for a country musician. I, I just I don't see that happening. I almost played Benaroya Hall uh, during uh, quarantine, but there was going to be like a live stream, and there wouldn't be anybody there. So well, that would have been kind of spooky. That would. It would have been weird, yeah. That would have been really weird. Um, but, you know, I've played all sorts of cool places. I got to play at Meow Wolf um, in Santa Fe. Played the Paps Blue Ribbon Theater. Um, got, got a, I've sold out the Troubadour in Los Angeles. Um, played tons of classic venues in New York. Um, sold out First Ave in Minneapolis. Uh which, you know, if you're a Prince fan, you know about First Ave. Um, so I've been, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of legendary I'm the only person that's not a Prince venue. fan. Really? You really? Wow. It sounds Damn, like you, you really have been lucky. you said that live on air. <laughs> I've said worse things on the podcast. <laughs> I will admit it. <laughs> I think I'm going to get fired after that statement. I really am not a Prince fan. I, you know, I just... Not that I think his music is bad. Nothing about that. But it's just not. It doesn't just do anything tiny, for me. Tiny little sick guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Exactly. I get it. So when you're not making music or whittling, um, 
what do you what do you like to do um i like to cook i like to hang out with my family um i like to play video games i, I have pc game um for a while i was like doing the twitch stuff and uh i was making cocktails every monday on twitch which was awesome um i got into that um so yeah i like i like making cocktails i'm not the greatest at it but i'm working on it um we I had like... a guy on our podcast that in the pandemic he quit his job as a bartender and he made this like he's from i think he's from seattle if i remember correctly he has like this whole box of like cocktail cards where it teaches you and you have like a qr code and you can watch him make the cocktail and there's like over a hundred different ones on there and he like includes the history of the cocktails too yeah it's really cool that's interesting and you like helped me learn how to make cocktails yeah, yeah, it's like a. It, oh, it comes in a box. How to make cocktails during the quarantine because they're like, "Fuck it, I need to drink." Right. Now. <laughs> I was um, just doing shots of straight vodka at one point. I was like, "I can't." <laughs> woo! Yeah, I missed. I missed the nice cocktails, and everything was shut down. So I got with my my buddy and uh, started doing a Twitch stream where we just like made cocktails with each other. And he, you know, knows how to make all these crazy drinks and. So he'd just be teaching my dumb ass how to do it. And we did it every Monday for almost for like a year and a half. Wow. It's pretty good. Yeah. What was your favorite cocktail that you made? I the he hit me to the Boulevardier, and now that's my favorite cock that's my go to cocktail of all time. It's like a Negroni what is that? but with What's in uh, there? rye or bourbon. It's uh, one part, I like it with bourbon, so one part bourbon, one part sweet vermouth, and one part um, Campari. Sounds kind of good. I'm not a bourbon drinker, but that sounds kind of nice. You could do it with rye, rye whiskey. Or you could do it with gin, and then it's a Negroni. That might be easier for me to handle. I've been drinking um, sour amarettos. Armoretto Sours? Yes, Armoretto Sours. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I always like whenever I'm out and I'm like, I'm primarily a beer drinker. But when I am out and I'm like, oh, I yeah. would like a cocktail right now. And I go to order it. I always forget what it's called first and foremost. Um, and I feel like an old woman when I drink it. It is kind of an old woman-y drink. I will, it, it I will is, give you it? that. But it's nice. It's kind of, you know, it's almondy and sweet and it's got a little zip. I it's like got it. something to it. We made Armoretto Sours in for one of our streams. I'm bummed that I didn't know you were doing that because I would have definitely tuned in because there's something. I love watching people make cocktails, especially like not bartenders, but like normal people making cocktails because yeah. people get really into it. And it's just, I don't know. I think it's fun to watch people make cocktails. Well, with us just getting drunk and talking shit, but it was <laughs> it worked out pretty well. We we built up kind of a nice little viewer base. And, um, and we built up like this little community out of it, which was pretty cool. Um, 
we just kind of, you know, he got really busy at work once things opened up again and he works in the, the cocktail. He works for a distillery. Um, so, and then here I am touring, so I don't know how I'm going to do that on the road. It's probably not a lot, lot of time left over to sit around and make cocktails. No. No, not with all the driving, too. I can't be that drunk every Monday. No, that would probably be bad. Don't not do that. Yet. Don't drink and drive, folks. Don't you dare do it. No, it's not worth it. Oh, look. All right. I want to thank you so much for being on our podcast with me this week. Um, can you let our audience know where they can get tickets for your show in Seattle? Yeah, you can go to my website. And even if you're not in Seattle, um, you can go to my website, which is grievesmusic.com. Um, and there's a little events tab there. And if you scroll down to the bottom of the events tab, because I'm on tour. Um, but if you want to come see me on tour um you know come come holler at me um but uh yeah just scroll down to the bottom it's that last show there um it's a very modern art looking uh ad mat so but yeah you go there and then also from com, that will lead you anywhere you need to go as as far as i'm concerned it'll take you to music it'll take you to the merch store it'll take you to a a bio if you didn't learn enough uh of me <laughs> from here um and yeah that's that's your one-stop shop for me i'll include that in the show notes as well so if anyone wants to just scroll down in the description you can you can click it from there as well Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.